Best Book Bits brings you Philip Gabbard, a philosophical creative writer, thinker, creative director, and ad man entrepreneur, author of two published books, This Day and Trivation, a media sales trainer, podcaster, and advertising agency owner. Philip is credited for writing and producing thousands of national radio and TV commercials in the last 30 years. Philip, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Michael. It's a real honor. No worries. Now, for my audience who uh, who don't know Phil, tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, your younger days as well. You know, I think I'll start with kind of the everyman approach, uh, something of which I write about, and, and it's a point of view that I can uh, honestly says comes from the heart because an everyman is, is, is the commoner, if you will. And perhaps that's how I saw myself living a pretty common life, perhaps. Uh, and until, you know, my early teens and 20s, life was brilliant. I didn't have much money, didn't come from money. My father was a farmer, my mom, a, a homemaker. I was the youngest of six kids. So um, always had clothes. They were always hand-me-downs um, and always had food on the table. And life was interesting. And it wasn't until, you know, maybe late teens that I realized that there was a difference between the haves and the have-nots um, where we lived and where some of the other people lived. And I kind of felt like I spoke um, from that point of view of, of hey, we all have these certain commonalities. So my life growing up was special. It was exquisite. It was not filled with drama or any issues, you know, that you know, sometimes we commonly identify with problems in later years. So um, I, I look at how my life pathed forward and I feel honored, full of gratitude with the parents that I had. Um, and I, I think, Michael, that's that's a strong, you know, impression of my my base values. It's not that my parents taught me these lessons. They created an environment where these lessons were just learned and need to be told often many things other than this was how it goes. And this is what we have to do to, you know, make our way through school and friendship and issues and so forth. But that was a whole lifetime ago. Uh, and I think today people are faced with many, many different challenges that came to me later in life. Yeah. So you grew up on a farm with uh, five brothers and sisters, and where, whereabouts uh, was the farm? I was born in Indiana, and as a young, a very young guy, uh, my parents moved me to Arizona, and that's where I did most of my formative years from the age of five to 18 before I went on to university. And what, uh, what university did you go to? I was an athlete in the high school, and I earned a Division One scholarship to play football for the University of Texas at El Paso. And that experience, you know, corralled all of my hopes and dreams into uh, uh, one of the more special experiences that any young person could have. It was in a very um, uh, highly acclaimed university for a lot of reasons, especially not football. And during my five years uh, uh, with uh, the university, our football team went from probably one of the worst athletic programs 
in the nation to uh, one of the top 20 programs in the nation. So I had a very, very unbelievable experience in college that helped prop me up to have a jump off for, you know, my career, which after, uh, you know, after playing football and, you know, playing in a lot of uh, really exciting um, matches with um, teams that were at least in the eighties, you know, marquee teams, I was able to, you know, take those lessons and apply them to, to work and relationships and so forth. But early on in my career, I kind of learned that there was kind of a, a game being played where if you said certain things or did certain things, you got certain favors. And I stayed in the same industry. I've been in the, you know, the same industry for, uh, which is advertising and marketing for 30 years, Michael. And I, as I grew, I just started realizing that, you know, there are upsets and letdowns and, and untruths and things in this world that probably need some honesty and some attention and, and some leadership from, from an everyday guy who's been in every kind of hustle you can imagine, but somebody who needed to, you know, it, it wasn't a book that I needed to write, Michael. It was the way that I behaved um, kind of maybe is what I wanted to do with my children is not tell them how to do it, but show them how to do it later yeah. in, in life though. And, you know, up until the time I wrote the, you know, both of these books within the last two and a half years, I just realized that there was, I needed to do more. It was, I was obligated to say something and I was, um, I don't know. I, I was spiritually awakened. I was a lot of things happened, including a tremendous downfall in my life. And I think all of these things, Michael, I, you're asking great questions. I'm, I'm doing most of the talking because it's a culmination of our life's experiences that give us the impetus to do certain things in our lives that are profound. And I, I wanted to do something profound, even though I'm a regular guy like you or any other person on this planet. Well, I know you've what done a lot. I mean, to go, sorry to cut you off, but uh, we'll definitely uh, come back to the books. But I want to give people an understanding of sort of where you've come from in your journey so far, because you've you have lived an amazing life. I mean, I think I read in your bio, you're 310 pound, you know, college footballer and then studying journalism. And then realizing how much journalists made, which wasn't a lot of money, you quickly switched to <laughs> sales and marketing. So I want you to talk a little bit about that transition and um, college, and then we'll get into your progression with um, your 30-year career, and then we'll, we'll deep dive into your books, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, you know, obviously, I, I wasn't a strong math kid, so um, I did like writing, and there was a creative aspect to it. So that felt natural to me off into uh, the radio and TV advertising business because I felt comfortable in being able to write a, a message, a, a letter, uh, and ultimately commercials, which is its own skill set. And from there, I realized that even though I didn't pursue the journalist side of uh, the business or the copywriting necessarily, I did get into the sales and marketing. And having that ability to you know, administer 
with customers and clients and prospects, the idea of, hey, I have an idea and I can articulate it in a 30 or 60 second ad um, was an ingredient to make money. And I succeeded. And I, I honestly, um, year over year for 20 years, 30 years, grew my business immensely until a point where I started my own company and continued that success, you know, that success uh, run for, for years. So I loved how they dovetailed and I didn't have an aspiration to write a book out of all of this, Michael, but you know, the certain, certain steps led to a downfall. And that's kind of what tipped me up to feeling like I needed to say something more. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. And you've been working with the Hispanic community for the last 30 years. So how did that start and what's your relationship like with that? I know you've won numerous awards Sid, with the Hispanic uh, community as well. Well, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, I, I've valued uh, kind of the cultural differences in, in, in the marketplace. I, I grew, you know, uh, my profession in El Paso and then moved on to Los Angeles. And the Hispanic communities in those marketplaces are enormous. And as a marketer, um, being a gringo um, in the space and having the knowledge and know-how to, um, you know, communicate with uh, uh, Latinos in, in, in a language of preference, I was able to give my customers who most likely had struggled in that space uh, some guidance to uh, navigate that space successfully. And that's what I kind of, uh, that was a niche area that I specialized in. And so I wasn't a master to all of these other aspects of marketing. I really subserved, um, you know, a marketer who wanted to have better success in the Hispanic space across the U.S., and there's where I found gold. Yeah. And what's uh, what's some of the creative uh, lessons that you've learned sort of over the, the last 30 years writing television, radio commercials? I know um, one of your things you said, you, you become a professional bullshit talker. Um, but uh, <laughs> what are some of the lessons that the regular folk can learn from um, radio and TV commercials? There's a couple of things. One, it doesn't all fit into 30 or 60 seconds, so don't try. Uh, the second thing is uh, really is rescripting. And this kind of dovetails with how I write. Um, I, I, I'm a different writer. I, I write in a style that is, is, is really not common anymore. And I, I, I don't know if I know how to write any other way. But one of the things I will say, um, we have an opportunity to re-script our words all the time. And one of the pitfalls for a marketer is try to do, try to say, try to communicate, try to convey a message, in, a message in English, and then they have a desire to want to say all of that same language just translated into Spanish. And there's a big delta. There's a big disconnect when doing that. And it is a major, major common pitfall. Uh, almost every advertiser I've ever experienced with tried to translate from English to Spanish. And truly, you need to re-script your messaging to be, you know, originated and um, in a more authentic way in the words that are most important for maybe a meaning you're trying to convey, but you can't translate the words. It's just impossible. And it's, we see it, um, uh, when it happens and it's, it's for the audience, it's a disconnect. And so inside of that, Michael is a lesson when we try to communicate with one another, 
we try to use common, maybe conformed words that are, you know, overused or improperly uh, applied in certain situations. And sometimes it creates a disconnect in relationships, whether that's with your children or your spouse or your parents or your, your employer. There's just times that we use worn out, unoriginal, not well thought out words. And in writing, writing commercials specifically, I always get to get the words right. I always get to script my words for maximum effect. And that's what I try to do in the books that I've written. I've written uh, in a way that I can say some things differently to do one thing. I just want you to think, Michael. That's all I'm asking people to do. Yeah, and uh, we're going to touch on your book in a sec. It's one of the most interesting written books that I've read in terms of the thoughtfulness and the openness and the honesty and the radical transparency uh, that you come across. So I'll definitely um, jump into that in a sec. But I just want to quickly segue to a funny little thing. How did you start with your obsession with tequila? <laughs> um, it's at, I guess I'd have to say after failing with every other liquor, uh, no. The I think a better way to say that is that um, I, I became a, a tequila aficionado, if you will, um, just because of following other people's passions, um, uh, that there was something there that was magic. So I, I, I like the taste. I like the tasting of. Um, I like the experience. I like the friendships um, that have been cultivated from having a passion about anything. I don't care if you like bicycles or, you know, a football team or what have you. When you find common interests, I, I just enjoy talking about that. And I've really enjoyed, obviously, the Mexican culture. I love touring Mexico. I love the Mexican people. And they've been very inviting to me. My wife is from Mexico. Uh, my extended family is all from Mexico. Most of them still live in Mexico. So it, it has gone hand in glove. And um, if, I have my, if I have my way, I will have a... I will have a a tequila sometime in the future of my own name yeah perfect yeah i look forward to seeing that now <laughs> so we come full circle you've uh, you're born and raised farm family great upbringing gone to university studied journalism gone into sales and marketing tell me about the downfall and tell me about the journey of writing your first book this day and how it came about well i think it was a culmination of things there was I had a business downfall, a big one, but that was enough to give me enough fear in my life uh, to act very, very concerned. But the fear affected me in a way that I just couldn't, I wasn't handling properly. Um, you know, I prided myself as being a provider and, uh, um, there's an arrogance in that, that um, an inauthenticity that I wanted to look good to others um, and avoid at all costs looking bad. At the same time, I was having an issue with my, my son, um, college age, uh, who was going through his own troubles and nothing terrible, Michael, but it made me realize that I could show up as anybody any day, just with how I felt about myself, 
how I thought about myself, and specifically the words that I use to do all of those things. And I, I kind of formulated um, a theory that everything is based off of our words. Our words are what form our thoughts. Our words are what form our feelings. And if you get the words right, you get the right thoughts and the right feelings. And if you get them wrong, disaster. So uh, in a breakdown with my son, I just wrote a letter to him. I, I, there was, we weren't communicating. It was over text messaging. And I just felt like you know, I was trying to be the cool dad. And I didn't do enough to talk to him in a, in a, in a way that he would get. And so I could have said anything. I could have yelled at him. I could have sent him money and got him out of his situation. But instead, I, I wrote a letter. And I wrote, and I wrote, and I wrote. And it made me just think of more things that I needed to say and write. Um, that was the, the catalyst to this day. Yeah. And um, it, it just launched me into this really cathartic experience of writing which helps me think, like I said, I get to rescript the words. I get to get all of these jumbled up feelings and emotions of my own downfall um, organized in a way that I say, yes, that, that helps get me on track, you know? And I knew I could come back out of my own downfall. I just didn't want to ruin everybody, you know, who depended on me um, at the same time. So I had to communicate and I did it through writing. Yeah, so I I agree. And I think one of the things that touched me was that I've been writing for the last sort of 14 years myself and I at least write one or two pages a day in my journal and I, I write about this day. So I'm just going to read a little quote that I love from the book as well to give my audience some okay. context about some of your writing. So one of the chapters you write about is called Who Am I? So we're a lot of things, aren't we? I'm a man, a father or a son, I am poor, I am wealthy, I am a husband, a friend, I am old, and I am young. I am a memory for some and a future for others. I'm a face in the crowd or an old photo, lost. I am a writer, a thinker, a creator, a client, a peddler, a mentor, an advisor. I am a cheerleader, I am a player. I am everything to some and nothing to most. This is this day so for now i am this day i am just like you i am reborn daily until my last i am open and i am vulnerable because i am present i choose this day because it's where the right here and right now can affect every action a human being is capable of as there are no capable actions in this yesterday or this tomorrow so i've decided this now that that is who I am. Shakespeare, Philip, <laughs> what do you think of that? Um, uh, as a writer, Michael, you'll know that sometimes words flow and um, it gives me goosebumps hearing you read that because um, those are probably some of the most important words that I wrote um, uh, with just sheer honesty, that I'm nothing and I'm everything. And I'm nothing to most, and I'm everything to some. And when I decided that's who I am, that's how I get to show up every day. 
that I know that I have value and that uh, I'm a life source for so many people. And I wanted to share that. I wanted people to crawl inside this conversation with me to see if we could behave in a way that uh, humans should behave, that we care, that there's love and frailty and vulnerability. And that even though I was a big 310 pound offensive lineman and could fight with a lion, that I could also be hurt and fall and crumble and that I, that I needed help, I guess. And that uh, I, as an everyman, we're all the same, bro. You yeah. know, we yeah. all go through this stuff. And I needed to get my words organized, articulated, and most importantly, Michael, I needed to share them. And that's really what, you know, launched me into this whole journey as a writer. Yeah. And I know um, from personally speaking to yourself and understanding your story and, you know, we, we've been connected for a little bit of uh, time now. Um, tell me a little bit about sort of loss. I know you've experienced uh, some loss and death and you talk uh, about that in your second book as well. So tell me some of the yeah. experiences of late that, that you've had with, with death. I didn't experience death, you know, as a youngster. I um part of this whole charmed life. I said, you know, I, didn't necessarily know we were poor until later. And I'd never had an experience with death um, until later in life. And then it catches up with you quickly. You know, you love a lot of people and a lot of love, loved ones leave your life. And whether that's a pet or something else. But yeah, I've, um, I've had quite a journey uh, in, in death and uh, grief uh, um, from my parents to my young nephews. And right as I was ending um, Thrivation, um, Thrivation just poured out of me, man. I just, I, I, I had something else to say. Didn't, it wasn't planned. I just started writing. And Michael, I wrote another 100,000 words in five months and published another book. Um, but right at the end of that, um, I lost my nephew um, to suicide. Um, about three years ago. So my brother, who I love, just, you know, just was torturous that he lost his oldest son. And um, two years later, um, his only son then uh, was killed in a motorcycle accident. And it's just, how is this manageable? And um, so it, it's just, it's one of those things that I could only articulate in, in the way that I know how is to tell the story of what lessons were gained from a death from somebody that the whole world didn't know, but those of us, those few of us that did, uh, what, what's the lesson? What did they give to the rest of us that we can take forward and share with others? And so I, I memorialized it in a book. And I think that the way that I have written it and I communicated with my brother and, and the others that I have gone through these experiences of loss with, I, communica I communicated it in a way that says, 
This is how we honor people. This is what we've learned. And this is what I'm carrying forward with them. And I think it's a beautiful way to, you know, talk about death. It's, it's a very stoic uh, belief of uh, momentum mori um, uh, and amor fati. You know, it, it happens. Um, it's coming. But we treat death as a taboo. And uh, we treat death as something that needs to be so uh, sterilized where um, we can't talk about you know, death in such a way that it's become problematic. So I found a lot of health, healthful reasons in doing so in my own kind of, you know, how do, how did I reconcile my father's death? How did I reconcile my, my nephew's death and my friend's deaths and, and so forth. And now that I'm of an age where I know more older people who naturally are dying, um, it's helped me, and I think for those people who who read my words, it will help them immensely. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing and, and being so open as well with the audience. Um, I know you made a, a super emotional post uh, when, you, when your mother passed and you sat yeah. by her bedside and, and, and reflected and took some notes. Uh, what was some of the wisdom that she passed down for you? I know she was sort of nine. Was she 90 when she passed? She was, and uh, it was just a, another blessing of experience in my charm life. You know, I got to be with my aged mother who uh, got to die peacefully in, in her own bed, um, surrounded by loved ones. But I was able to um, talk with her. I'd uh, When I wrote this day, I took the manuscript and had it bound, and I presented it to her, and, and she kept it with her every day. She kept her Bible and she kept my book and I was able to read a chapter uh, at her bedside as she passed from this day and um, which just warmed my heart about being thankful to our mother, all of our mothers of what they put into our lives. And, and having that experience was wonderful. The, you know, her death was glorious because it was a life well lived and, um, and not everybody gets this experience, but we all can have the words and conversations. We can talk with our parents or our loved ones who have passed, even though we might not have had that chance to be at their bedside. We can talk with, I, I speak with my father almost daily. He died seven years ago. Um, and those things are meaningful to me. So death is, it's not spooky and not scary and it's not, taboo it's something that we can talk about and i think we find helpfulness because it's going to get us all you know i, I wrote about my dad's death and thrivation because it took me six years to understand it and so i got to tell the story about his passing and what it it was comical and a, what a jubilation but my simple dad um, wanted nothing more to donate his body to medical science. Um, and with his ashes, uh, that after they were done with the medical portion of it, um, were used to plant a tree um, at the University of Arizona's medical center, you know. And that kind of tied in the whole thrivation bit is that, you know, he gave of himself so much, 
that, you know, his ashes and his remains um, are what is going to grow a beautiful tree that will throw shade to somebody that will never know the sacrifice that was given for them to enjoy shade. And that's what thrivation is. It's what we give. It's not what we get. And we all have been recipients of glory and these gifts from God and abundance. And, um, you know, I really take that on straight on and, and thrivation is there's a lot of people who take from this world because that's how the world appears to them that for us to grow, we must consume. And I give a very full throated argument that, that life should be about life should be about us growing by us giving to others and paying forward um, in ways that will benefit our descendants for tens, if not thousands of years into the future. Yeah. And, and you, I know just you, you talk about in the book, the circle of life and death on a carousel, which is the, the circle of life you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I approach a lot of that in, in parabolic, you know, um, argument. Um, parables are short stories that we get. And so I use parable as a method um, to tell a lot of these stories that I just wanted my audience to understand that how we approach life is, is an option. Yeah. I choose to thrive. What would be some of the advice that if we've got people in their twenties listening and, and watching this interview, what, what's some advice you, you would give them? Not necessarily yourself, but just 20 year old, 20 year old kids, kids. I call them kids cause I'm in my thirties. <laughs> uh, pursue, pursue knowledge and understand things more than, you know, um, more than a quote. Read the whole damn book and then ponder those questions and read another book. Investigate it. Read the Bible. And Michael, if I'm not sure, um, uh, neither book is religious. And I actually, uh, you'll get an undertone of that. And in, in this day, I was, I was very angry with God. Um, but it came back to me sometime later that... Um, that this day is really a a modern take of the book of Job. And there's no argument that I was influenced uh, by the book of Ecclesiastes for thrivation. Everything is turn, turn, turn is how I started the book off. Um, uh, that is a very famous beetle or a beetles, a bird song um, uh, that was scripture from the book of Ecclesiastes, but God provides everything and it will all go away for the next person to enjoy. And so both of these books are biblical. And the only thing that I could say to a young person is study, find things that are naturally curious to you and find the final answer um, because there's so much enjoyment in doing so. And, um, Life is 
if we try to buzz around and get a little from this and a little from that, I don't think that it adds up to much. It adds up to a lot of little things. Yeah. I think um, the more you pursue knowledge and understanding, um, the betterment you will be for the world. Yeah, perfect. And uh, people of my age, you know, in their in their thirties, uh, I'm not going on forty, so uh, I am mid thirties. But having a young family, getting married, what's some advice you would give thirty uh, year olds and and early forty year olds as well, or lessons you know, that you've learned? Just to understand that you you know we all go through changes. Uh, my my mother and father were married for sixty five years. They got married in their late teens. They had to learn to live together as 20-somethings and 30-somethings with a house full of kids and 40-somethings with a house full of teenagers and 50-somethings as empty nesters and 60-somethings as aging and retiring and older people in their 70s and 80s. They had to change their relationship just to manage the changes in themselves. And I... That's what I aspire to. It would be false for me to give you any advice other than, man, I, I admired people who weathered the storms, good and bad. And it's, it, you know, it seems like there's too many options and opportunities for people who experience some trouble or some hard times and decide that they want to call it quits and move on. I think there's some glory and, and, and some joy to find and how to work through the tough. And um, that's, that's how I'd like to respond to that, Michael. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Now I want to segue um, into some of your favorite authors and, and, and people who've had massive uh, impact on your on your knowledge and your understanding Like who, who have you read and who, who is your favorite authors in the past? Well, in the past, I would have to say there was, you know, key influencers was like Napoleon Hill. Um, uh, uh, Earl Nightingale. Um, these are old sales kind of structured pieces from, I don't know, written in the 1930s uh, and so forth. I was really influenced by Steinbeck. Um, uh, I would have to say Hemingway for sure. And um, Charles Bukowski. Those were kind of these old, like I remember in high school and college, like toying around with those guys. Um, but I was always interested in, you know, the poets. I loved, um, you know, the Raven. I loved E.E. E. Cummings. I loved um, Shakespeare, even though I didn't quite understand it all. I had a great prof college professor, uh, John West was his name, who just took line by line and made sure that we understood bittersweet tongue by which Shakespeare tried to speak with and his humor and all of those points that, you know, made him who he was for, for us all, but more modern, um, authors, I've got to tell you, I've, I've been devouring Jordan Peterson. Uh, and then there's a young man by the name of Dane here, um, that I really admire who has written a book called uh, being you. And I, I, I get critical of a lot of books that I read or people ask me to read. And, and I'll say this about my own books. Um, my book will find you when it's the right time. 
I think the right time is now. I hope everybody reads my books, but I know my books aren't for everyone. Um, I've had a whole shelf full of books that I, I collected over the years that I, I thumbed through again years later. And I go, when the hell was it in this book that attracted me to it? You know, I always find a chapter or two of something cool and, you know, 12 chapters full of shit. And, but they did add and contribute to my life. Um, I don't want to disparage any of them. Um, or any of the acts that an author goes to sharing his words. But I do think um, my books are written in a way that once you find them, you won't remember them, but they will have an impact on your life. You you don't need to remember them for all your life. But I do think they're important words that you need to hear. Um, I, 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 I hear feedback from other writers who have read my book uh, who appreciate the honesty and, yeah. and instead of the divisiveness of trying to write the way that you think you should write, I think most people need to write and communicate and be heard from their heart and uh, not from your head. Um, it's poetry. I love music. Music is nothing but poetry put to words. Yeah, it's amazing. And and for the audience listening now, if you want a taste of This Day, I have done a summary on it uh, last year. So check out This Day on Best Book Bits. But I'm going to put the links. Where where can people buy your book from? Uh, was it Amazon or is you have a personal website you want to, to share? Where's the best place it, they can find your books? Most people can find it on, on Amazon worldwide. There's not a country that um, my books have not been shipped to. Um, I've marketed a lot my books just to make sure that small readers and, 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 and so can have access to it. Um, I have a website at authorphilipgabbard.com uh, where you can also make those orders as well. Yeah, perfect. Now, before we wrap up, I obviously don't want to take up too much of your time, but there's a UK TV show, I used to live in the UK, and I've got family there called Come Dine With Me. And if you were to have a dinner party with three guests, they can be someone from the past or present that are famous, who would they be? And what would you serve him? I would have for sure in that group, Benjamin Franklin. I think he's one of the most interesting men that ever lived. I would also have um, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, one of the most interesting people that ever lived. I would have, I'd like to take my dad, but uh, might not have been the famous guy. No, that's fine. But, it's fine. Um, I would also like to have Jordan Peterson. That is a guy I would like to meet. Um, what I would serve, it would have to be tacos and tequila, man. Tequila. <laughs> I don't think uh, any of those guys would have ever had an opportunity to have a great taco and a well-done tequila. And yep. I can only imagine yep. what that conversation would be like. Yep. These, um, these are some of the most influential people of their time. And um, I admire each of them for their endeavors, their exuberance their vulnerabilities and what they left behind or in Jordan's position, what he's leaving behind for future generations to enjoy. Yeah. Great. Now I want to leave the audience with some words that you wrote at the end of the book uh, this day. So for the audience listening, uh, Philip writes after the book, what to do next, think, listen, talk, read, write, question, pursue, share, smile, love, Breathe, hydrate, pray, meditate, sing, be, and thrive. What's What do you think about that, Phil? I think those words will stand the test of time. 
Absolutely. Those are, what else, what else is there? Um, yeah. I normally ask my guests, what's the last message you want to leave? But I actually just said it for you. So um, <laughs> <laughs> where, where, can, can pe- where can people connect with you and find you online? Are you sort of most on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube? Where, where can people connect with you personally? I'm mostly Instagram-centric, and I'm available at author Philip Gabbard. I'm easy to find. Um, you can find me through This Day or Thrivation. I will give myself a little bit of plug of what's coming next. Oh, um, please, please, a kid's please. Book. Yeah, a kid's book is going to be the next book out. It's called Know What I Know. I've got a masterful, uh, cute as can be kid's book uh, with a very, very incredible uh, illustrator by the name of Diego Robot. And you can find his artwork at Diego Robot on Instagram as well. And then I will have a third book in 2023. And um, I've already begun work on that. Um, What's it there's about? more of this onion, this more of this onion to pe- peel back. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I haven't done a children's book summary, but you'll, you'll be the first. I might not summarize it. I might actually just read it on the air. Uh, I've got two young children. I've got a two year old boy and a, a three month old baby girl. So, uh, I think I might get well, into congratulations that. on, on, on your crew. And, um, yeah, that it's, it's, I gotta tell you, um, I'm biased, but it's as cute as can be. And um, it will be a really nice compliment to uh, the This Day Thrivation family and, um, and, and great for everybody to read. Yeah, perfect. I think there's a lot more books in you, Philip. I think you're going to be one of those, who knows, but I reckon maybe a dozen. I think you've got a lot in, in you that needs to come out. So we'll, uh, we'll get there in the end. But I appreciate you coming on the Best Book Bits podcast and, and just being so open and and vulnerable as well. I know you do that with your books, but uh, it's great to see the person behind the books too. Uh, for my audience that's listening, check out this man, follow him, buy his books, read his books, reread his books, and then buy multiple books for your friends and family. And one <laughs> thing I forgot to ask, actually, if you buy this man's book and if you're uh, in an area close to him, where are you residing at the moment, Philip? Whereabouts are you I living? live in El Paso, Texas. Great. And talk to me a little bit about your merchandise uh, that you actually sell with this day. Hats, caps. W- what type of merchandise do you sell along with your books? I know you do good packs. I think packs. one of the things about uh, uh, this day is that it's just it, anthrivation. They're just cool ways to live a life, you know. You don't need to know my books. All you need to know is that you have this day and you can thrive. The act of thriving is thrivation. Um, so my merchandise, you know, goes along with that, but I, I just take great pride in, in, in the complete package, uh, and the look of, of my books. I am a marketer. I wanted them to stand out. And then I wanted the experience of opening, opening them as a book or a package in the mail is one that is, uh, appreciated and memory uh, and, and, and remembered. Perfect. Now I'm going to be selfish. Where can I buy the, um, the cups, and the hats, because uh, I do want to remember this day. So where can I go and buy Dang, them? Um, that's going to take a reorder. I, I use a, a Yeti, and I just got to put a sticker on mine because I haven't got my new Yetis in yet. So That's um, okay. Well, when, when they're out, I'll, I'll let you know. We'll, I'll we'll let do, you know. <laughs> perfect. All right. I won't take up too much of your time. Philip, thanks for being on the show and uh, being a great guest, but uh, we'll catch up soon. And uh, thanks so much. Thank you, Michael. No worries at all. Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye.